Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me, but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. My eating disorder started at seven. You get to that point where you're just, you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders Podcast, brought to you by BCU, customer-owned banking for you. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge and your daughter's not there. Find someone that you trust more than you trust your eating disorder self. I was in tears and I was screaming at the nurses, give me something to eat. My baby is kicking me. You cannot do this to this life that has no voice yet. There is hope. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the amazing Chelsea Bonner. Now, Chelsea is a renowned body positivity advocate. She's an author and she is also the founder of Bella Management. So welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Millie. I always love chatting to you, so I this should be good. too. <laughs> yeah. Now, to start off with, can you please explain to our listeners why you are so passionate about body positivity and body acceptance and how your own journey has led you to do the amazing work that you do? Well, to begin with, I'm a curved woman or plus size or I don't know, average size person. <laughs> and I really disliked the way that we were treated in the media and fashion industries in general. So that was sort of one part of my story. And the, you know, there's a multitude of different people that I know that have had body image issues over the years. But when my sister was diagnosed with anorexia and bulimia, that just really, it really, really shook me to my core to feel like I just had to do something about it. I just had to. And it was it was a combination of a comment here, it's a person you meet there, it's a story you hear there. And then when it infects your own family, you become way more conscious of how bad the issue is. If you just, um, any sort of compassionate person, you have to find a way to help. You just have to. And I I thought, well, with the life experience that I had, with the job skills that I had, with all of that combined, I could potentially make some drastic changes in the way that we view women and the way women, more importantly, view themselves. So I decided to use my skill set to benefit the world rather than allowing my industry to keep on repressing and damaging and torturing women's self-image. I, cu- I just couldn't do it anymore. So once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. I couldn't not do something about it. I just couldn't. That's been driving me for 20 years now. For those who don't know what you do, fill us in. Let mm-hmm. us know all the amazing things, that, projects that you've got happening. <laughs> so I own Bella Management, which is a model and talent agency that's grown quite substantially over the years. So we started off with size diversity, but over the years we've 
broadened to include everybody, you know, because it, it really is about inclusion in general. It's not just one thing. It's, it's that, you know, the beauty of humanity is not properly shown throughout our fashion media outlets and we are not seeing enough of ourselves represented. We're not seeing that reflection of the absolute uniqueness of individuality of, of you know, we need to see more age groups, we need to see more skin tones, we need to see more abilities, we need to see more of everything. So over the years it has grown and grown and grown and grown and now I also have a thought leaders board. So I have people who are just doing the most incredible work around Australia in all different areas and I try to magnify the spotlight onto them so that they can continue to do their good work and so they can do sort of what I've done, which is use my income to make really drastic changes within their own industries. That's what I do now is my passion project, if you like, is finding people who really want to make a difference in their own communities or in their own industries and need some help, whether that's media, PR, mentoring, business advice, opportunities, and, you know, drive clients to match people who are not just going to be great talent for them and sell product for them, but have a much higher purpose than that. They can directly affect the change that they want to see in their business through supporting talent who are are the ones on the ground, you know, the people who are grassroots in these movements. So that's been something I've been working on for several years now and it's sort of starting to come to fruition at the moment, which is so exciting. So everything I do is about I want everybody in the world to feel like they belong, that we belong to each other, that we are all so connected and we are really a community. It doesn't matter how big the community gets. And we need to, you know, we really need to invite more and more people into our world so that they then feel included in their own worlds. So that's that's my mission, I guess, if you want to call it that. It doesn't feel like a mission. It just feels so natural to me. It's just such a natural passion. Like, you know, some people love gardening. Some people love, you know, I don't know, motorbike riding. Some people love painting. You know, they don't do it. For any other reason then it's the it's the thing that moves their spirit and I guess for me this work moves my spirit so I'll, I'll do it as long as as long as I've got one. I love that moving your spirit it's exactly how I feel with the work that I do. And yeah. You're right it doesn't feel like a mission because it feels no. so instinctual and it's, it's yeah. your purpose and you know that you're making yeah. a difference and you know you're where you need to be doing what you need to be doing. And I feel lucky. I don't know about you, but I just feel lucky to have that sense. I don't know whether everybody gets to a point in their life where they've got that sense of this is it. I don't know. I mean, I think everybody is searching for it, certainly, but I don't know how many people are lucky enough to discover it or if people have discovered it, but then realise that it's much harder than they thought it was going to be and sort of gave up on it. Because there's no denying as much as I love it and as passionate as I am and as much as I would, I can't even conceive of doing anything else, there, it's still hard. It's still work. So, and you know that, there's still, there's still the fundamentals of business that have to be done. There's still a lot of, you know, contracts and boring, there's so much boring stuff, you know, <laughs> in order to get the result that you want, it's 95% really, really hard work. 
for a 5% gain, but that 5% is everything. So to me, it's worth it. But to a lot of people, it's, it's probably not. The hard thing too is that we're trying to create change, right? And we're yes. fighting against a culture that isn't sort of going with us, so to speak. We're fighting against diet culture. Yeah. We're fighting against, yeah. you know, eating sort of treatment philosophies that aren't yeah. aren't really what we want them to be and things like that. So there's that constant pushback because we're creating a yeah. new paradigm, so to speak. It literally is swimming upstream. And yes. that's exactly how it feels. <laughs> Sometimes you get a bit of a current that helps you and, you know, but it can be really exhausting. And, um, but you become fitter, I guess, you know, you become more used to it and you become more, you know, desensitized to all the, the rocks and the bumps and the scrapes. You just sort of look up, you know, redirect your course and off you go again. And that's sort of how I think about it. I guess there's always going to be barriers. There's always going to be rocks in my way. There's always going to be some injury always, but the end goal is so much more important than all of that, that I'll never stop. It's almost like when you're describing it, it's very much like recovery from an eating disorder. There's always going to be these bumps and things and you do become fitter and stronger along the way amongst all the relapse and the absolute roller coaster that it is. You do. It's, uh, you know, I don't have an eating disorder, but I've got a chronic pain condition, as you know, called fibromyalgia. And I have to reframe daily because I don't know what my pain level is going to be. Every morning I wake up and it's a surprise. <laughs> you know, I can either hold my coffee cup like a, a normal person would or I have to hold it in two hands or sometimes I'm too tired to hold it at all and I have to, like, bend my head down to sip it off the bench. And I just have to adjust myself for the day, you know, and go, all right, well, today's going to be really hard, but I'm going to get in the shower, just break it down into smaller pieces, get in the shower take the dog for a walk around the block, put something, you know, put some clothes on, get out of my pyjamas, sit down, check my email, just do one thing at a time, just break it into little tiny bits. And before you know it, the day's gone. And you're like, oh, God, I got so much done today. And I didn't think, when I woke up this morning, I did not think I was going to make it through this day and look at everything I've achieved. And then you can go to bed every night with a sense of peace and a sense of having achieve something rather than that feeling of just absolute hopelessness. I, I kind of get the, I get the cycle of it, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't make it through every day, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, I don't make it through every day. Sometimes I just have to go to bed. Sometimes I just can't, I can't keep going. Not very often, but I, I, I have to have days like that, but I always think, okay, just go to bed and get up and try again tomorrow. That's all you can do. And we all are going to make mistakes along the way and we're all going to drop the ball at some point and we're all going to punish ourselves over that. But you just have to think about that for a minute and, and go, well, you know, yeah, I dropped the ball, but did I mean to? Was that my intention or was it, you know, was it an accident? And, and you know, break it down into and figure out, you know, why you, did, why you dropped the ball on whatever you're trying to achieve and then reframe and get back to it. That's the way I push through. So I hope... I hope other people can maybe get something from that. I also remember there was a a song in primary school that I got taught and during my recovery, I often reminded myself it was pick yourself up, dust yourself off and start all over again. And Mm -hmm. there were so many times where in my head that was a mantra that I repeated because it is, it's just about, okay, come on, let's, let's keep going here. Yeah. With yep. your sense of, of body acceptance, how did you get to that space of being fully accepting of your body? 
you know, are there any sort of tips or tools that you can share with our listeners about how you got to that space? Yeah, I think for me, you know, Pilates and yoga and those types of things where I was reconnecting with what my body can do and disconnecting from what it looks like. And then just as I became more skilled at those things and was able to do more, you know, just the pride in that, the the sense of self-fulfillment and the fact that I could hold that pose or or stretch that little bit further or push myself to run that extra K or that sense of achievement, that was really good for me. But I have to say, you know, the more peaceful type of exercise like Pilates and yoga where it really is about thinking about every single little muscle in your body and how it works and your breath and your organs and your oxygen and that was better than any other type of exercise that I did. You really get a sense of your body and how incredible it is, how, how really truly amazing it is and how it responds to things and how much stronger and more supple it, it can become. And you, you learn a new respect for it and its strength. And then since getting sick, that we then went to another level completely where taking your health for granted is just... It's just so crazy. You know, our bodies are such amazing things. When you have any sort of health issue that's chronic like mine, you really learn to respect how good a well body feels. And so you're doing everything in your power, everything to keep your body as well as you possibly can be. And so, you know, if you have the power to keep your body well, that's just everything, just, just everything, you know. So, and if you have a well body, you have a well mind. I mean, that's just science. That's not, that's not my belief. That's actual, you know, science. So if you're nourished and, and watered and have all your cells working properly and everything's getting regenerated, that's all happening in your mind as well. Your brain, all the synapses are working properly anxiety is alleviated, depression's alleviated, you know, all of these things are all interconnected. So maintaining a strong, healthy body is important for maintaining a strong, healthy mind. And you would know that because I know, you know, with my sister, I watched her mental decline as her weight declined. That was as heartbreaking. That was as much torture to watch as her body fading away was her mind and the inability to you know, have continuous thought, not being able to concentrate on things for very long and seeing her temper change, you know, she should fly off the handle really quickly or get very upset very quickly, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, you know, all of these things and very hard for her to get them back under control. And, and it's all just because she was starving to death. Her body and her mind were starving. There was no fuel to fuel any of that. So, of course, her reactions were different to, you know, how she is now as, as a recovery in recovery, as she has been for many years. She's like a completely different person on every level. So, yeah, physical wellness is the key to emotional wellness, really. I mean, that's my opinion, obviously, but I think that's been, just been backed up by so much research now that you need to fill your cells with really good nutrition. You have to. Have you got any advice for often people who are in the midst of eating disorders, the comparison trap, going down that rabbit hole of comparing yourself can be really, Mm. really difficult. 
Have you got any tips for people who feel really compelled to compare themselves, especially in the age of social media? Mm. Well, there's a few things I think people need to know is that, you know, I run an influencer board as a part of our agency. So I know exactly how social media works. So everything from photo shoots in magazines and billboards and catalogues through to the images that you see on social media, especially with the big influencers, especially with the models and influencer talent that you see that have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers, that is all produced, all of it. Even their morning cup of coffee, oh, I'm just walking the jug with my coffee. That There's 10 people behind that camera. You know, they've had professional hair and makeup done, had a stylist pick out the exact right dress for that part of the street for... And then they've got a proper cameraman lighting it and all that sort of stuff. It is not real life. You get together for, say, two or three days to shoot content that you roll out over several months. And so you have the whole glam squad there for a couple of days. You change outfits 60 times maybe. You know, in my kitchen cooking pasta, in my studio doing yoga, you might think, you know, that's it's all produced. And then it goes up onto an app that releases it at the right time every day. So every morning at 7.30 or whatever time it's set for, you get the morning post and then it's all timed, it's all staged, all of it, and it's all designed to sell you products. So if you are watching any type of social media whatsoever, you have to know the algorithms are set up to sell you stuff and to also give you positive reinforcement on what you already believe. So if you are Googling about diets or you're... Facebooking about diets or you're following somebody on social media who's on lots of diets, the algorithm will follow you across every device that you use and it will keep throwing that up because it knows that you like it. So you have to keep pressing. I, I report ads all the time. Report as inappropriate, spam. It's, it's you know, just report anything like that that comes up in your feed. Report it, report it, report it, report it. Um, not relevant, not relevant, not relevant. Any ads, anything like that. You, that's how you clean up all of your feeds is, is you're basically saying to the algorithm, don't force me to like only certain things, you yeah. know. And that's, that's how we end up in these bubbles, right? We end up in these little bubble worlds where we are just getting reinforced with what we want to believe all the time because that's what we're searching. The online world is really dangerous for people who don't really know the ins and outs of it. And and, um, for anyone watching, actually, there's a great documentary at the moment out on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Tune into that, especially if you're the parent of a teenager. I've been talking about this, obviously, social media problem for years now, but this documentary is really, really good at showing you exactly how it works and how much it warps your mind, how it plants the seeds of all this self-doubt. All of it is all implanted into you and it's all about selling products or selling your details to people who want to sell you products. So, yeah, so you, you really need to be aware of that when you dive in because it's, it's a, a pretty crazy world out there and it's run by old white men who rich old white men who do not care about anything. They they are the most narcissistic sociopaths in the world. They don't care about anything but making money. They don't. So they are not looking after your mental health at all. They've got no interest in that. In fact, they want to manipulate you in order to continue to sell stuff. 
And I think that's the manipulation stuff is the hardest part because, you know, these images that we see, not only are they staged and things like that, but then, you know, with apps like Facetune and and people's bodies being just completely manipulated and then people are comparing themselves to images that aren't even real in the first place. Yes. And I think that's just really, really concerning. And then we see things like TikTok where there are, you know, I've got people saying to me that there are just more and more people doing, you know, what I eat in a day on there. And then people are comparing comparing what they eat to this, that, the other, what exercise they're doing. And, you know, there's a quote at the moment, which I think is really, really important for people to realize. And it's if we all ate the same and we all did the same amount of activity, we would all still look different. And that's the beauty uh, yeah. of being human. Exactly we don't right. all go around yeah. looking the same. And I think there mm-hmm. change that that idea that that is something to strive for. You know, I mean, these things change yeah. over time and we've had different looks over different periods of time as to what society sees as being the aesthetic ideal. But you yeah. know, in whose eyes? In whose eyes? Like yeah. it's, it, it shouldn't be, it should be about feeling good within ourselves and going within rather than focusing mm. on the constant, this constant focus on outward appearance. And and the thing is that I know that especially young people don't take this on board when we try to tell them that everyone has a different idea of beauty. Everybody finds something about you know, physicality, beautiful, that's different for them. Everyone, everyone in the world. So trying to look like somebody else isn't going to necessarily make the person or people that you want to be attractive to like you anymore because they might not actually be following that person or interested in that person for their looks. It might be something completely different. They might be attracted to a totally different type of person looking it's so relative I mean the reasons you're attracted to people are so much bigger than than outward appearance so much bigger than that and the reasons you stay with somebody for a really long time or you get end up getting married and and stay together for a really long time is got nothing to do with what you look like it's got everything to do with who you are similar interests common goals all those types of things that have nothing to do with looks whatsoever that whole idea that you need to look a certain way for to be attractive to another person, that is completely false narrative. That is absolutely untrue. If that's one of your things, if you're younger and you you think that, you know, boys or girls won't like you because, you know, you this or that, that's just not true. That's just not how the world works. It just doesn't work like that, you know. And as you get older, you really realise that. But it's so hard to explain to a young person. And I know because I was like that you know, and um, I remember, you know, my mum saying, oh, someone will love you for you and don't worry about it. And I was like, yeah, what? You know, you don't even know what you're talking about, old lady, you know. <laughs> so I feel like when I'm talking to our younger gen, sometimes they're, they're looking at me like, uh, no, don't you know anything? Whatever. Like, I know everything. I know it all. And I'm telling you right now, the person you meet and fall in love with and spend your life with is not going to give a shit whether you've got long hair, short hair, brown hair, blonde hair. Those things are things that might initially attract somebody to you for a minute for a chemical reaction, but they're not the people that are going to be in your life forever. So so all of that stuff is just pointless. You have to just be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be physically and mentally. And then you're going to find the most incredible people to hang out with in your life. I love that. I love it. How do you define body positivity? 
Um, again, I think that's something that's different for everybody. But for me, it's that I don't think and haven't for years, I don't think about my body, the way my body looks at all, ever. I just don't worry about it. I don't think about it. It's not even a thing that comes into my head anymore. That to me is incredible because I spent so much of my young years so obsessed about it and so self-conscious about everything, you know. And then I realised quite a while ago now that um, still, you know, I was in my sort of mid-20s when it really kind of sunk in. I realised that, you know, I'm running this movie in my head of all these perceived faults I think I have. And other people actually think the things I think are faults are the things that make me the most attractive, you know, like I've always thought I've got weird little feet, like the, my feet are too small for my <laughs> for my frame, for my height. And um, I, I love my feet now. They're actually really pretty. But that's the thing that, you know, even then my husband's was like, you've got the prettiest little feet. And I was like, don't you think they're a bit weirdly small? And he's like, no, they're perfect. So it's so weird what you find, you know, the things that you think are issues, uh, just no one else even sees. And if they do see them, most often people, you know, they just don't feel like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, so it's all false narrative, all of it. You've got to get to the bottom of it and pick it out. You've got to figure out where it came from, who said that to you, what did you watch, what did you hear, how did, how did that get into your head in the first place, and then pick it out. Just go, right, yeah, I don't need that. That thought thread can go. It doesn't belong to me. That was implanted by somebody else. And I don't actually believe that at all. And I think that's a really important process and something that helped me heal was doing cognitive behavioural therapy and NLP when I was quite young. That really helped me because it helped me change a lot of things, ticks and nervous habits and fears. And I learned a lot about, you know, tapping and, and things like that that stopped me having, you know, panic attacks and anxiety. Those kind of mind training tools are so, so vital, especially to combat what what we're going through every day with social media and, and all of that sort of, you know, psychological warfare that's going on online. Having the ability, the toolbox and the kit to be able to unpick anything that accidentally gets in there and notice it way more quickly than, than you would in the past where things would, you know, sit in there in a big soup for years. If, if a thought comes into my head that is incongruent with who I am, I very quickly recognise it. It's almost like having a pebble in my shoe, you know. It's like, okay, no, that's uncomfortable. Get rid of that. That doesn't work. So you get more practised at it. But also I think it mm-hmm. being empowered to recognise and realise that you can change your brain and not to be told, yes. that, well, you just have to manage you these absolutely things. absolutely can. It's part of your personality because it's not. You truly no. can no. change your brain. Yeah. Yes, it takes yeah. repetition. And I often, I talk yeah. about with my clients, Millie's three C's, which is conscious, consistent commitment, because that is yeah. what it took every moment of every day, that conscious, consistent commitment to recovery and to the life that I wanted to get to. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that is what it takes. But I think that when you first set out, I know certainly for me, I was like, oh, God, really? Like this is, and how long am I going to have to do that for? It feels exhausting. Just the idea of it feels exhausting. But then once you jump into it, not very far into the future, like say three to six months, all of a sudden 
you've assimilated those new learnings and you are using them without even knowing that you're using them. And now years later, I use all of those tricks and things I've learned every single day without even thinking about it. If I sat down and thought about it at the end of the day, I'd go, yep, and I used that and I used this and I did that and I did that five times today, <laughs> you know, and you, you just have completely rewired your brain. And it's amazing, isn't it, when you just don't, you don't even think about it anymore. I vividly okay. remember when without even sort of realising, I started to accept my body. And I yep. do not believe that I would have gotten to that place of just radical acceptance of it without yep. doing NLP. For anybody who doesn't yep. know, it's neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Um, yep. But that allowed me to be like, you know what? This is okay. This is mm. just a vessel. This is just a vessel for me to live mm-hmm. my life. And I, right. at that point, then realized that I actually needed to sit in and what they call overshoot for a while and be slightly larger than what my genetic predisposition was, where I genetically would sit, because I just yeah. needed to realize that I can live life and I can be happy and it doesn't matter what size I am. And that was such an important part of my journey for me. And the only way I was able yeah. to do that was to change that rigidity in my thinking yeah. and and to be able to embrace, yeah, embrace it and all its yeah. glory. Well, I mean, I've been, oh God, I've been everything, every different size. I think I've been everything from a size 8 to a size 18, you know, and I still, my weight goes up and down depending on lots of factors, you know, my cortisol, my adrenal system, things that are related to my health issues. You know, if I am a lower weight for a couple of months, I just go to the part of my wardrobe that's got those size clothes in it. And if I'm a higher weight, I just go to that part of my wardrobe. I don't worry about it. You know, it's like, oh, they don't fit. I'll have to go get those ones or I'll have to go get those ones. It's whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change who I am as a person. It doesn't make me less of a good human. You know, it doesn't, make, it doesn't take away any of my skills. It doesn't take away any of my powers, my compassion, my empathy, my intelligence. None of that is related. You don't lose or gain that, you know, it's, that's, that's completely in here. So whatever this shell looks like, that everything that I need is right here. You're worth your um, weight. Yeah. There is no correlation between the two. There is no correlation. No, none at all. Often people feel like, but how am I ever going to love my body? How will I ever get to that point? And that's why I like to talk about, you know, body acceptance or body neutrality, because I think mm. often that is an easier place to get to and I know for me that's where I started and then was able to form a sense of self-love but for a while it was sitting in that body acceptance body neutrality space that can seem a lot more achievable to people who have spent many many years at war with their bodies and how they look Mm, mm. does I mean do, do people actually love their bodies or have they just really truly radically accepted their bodies yeah, I can't, I, you know, I don't think about my body. I don't think, oh, I love my knees. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> you know, I yeah. don't think about it like that. I, I think about it like I'm really glad I have functional knees and I can get up and down. Yeah, yeah so I think it's different. And I think, you know, that, that body love type of thing as well, I know that there are people who who are like that, but I feel like their their personalities are different to mine. So they're probably more overtly sexual and they probably are more 
working in the feminine or something like that. And, and that's kind of not my personality. I'm a bit, bit of a tomboy and I'm sort of not a girly girl and I'm not a, you know, I, I do believe in spirit and I believe in the energy of the universe and I believe, believe um, I have quite strong beliefs around those things, but they're not in that sort of spiritual sort of way. Just want to go back to Bella for a little while. Yeah. When you first started that, was there you know, pushback from, I don't know what to call it, the establishment, so to speak, in terms of, because at the time it was still very much that same body that we were seeing on the catwalk, that same body that we were seeing in the yeah. magazines, that very, very, very thin white female. Yeah. Um, so what was it like trying to change that, trying to shift that paradigm? It was incredibly difficult. When I first opened Bella, people thought I was crazy. You know, I left a job at one of the best photography agencies in Sydney and I was representing some of the top photographers you know and I did love that job but I didn't love what we were doing with it I love the imagery I love producing photo shoots I love beautiful photography amazing hair and makeup work you know all of those things but I couldn't watch the models coming in anymore starving to death you know they come in when they first signed with their agencies looking fresh and and healthy and happy and excited and even a few months later they would get on this horrible diet cycle and um, hideous workout routines and they would come back in a few months later looking like shells of themselves I just couldn't be a part of that anymore I just couldn't do it anymore so I worked in that side of the industry for 10 years but over that time I saw it just get worse and worse and worse, not better. It got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, I was working all through the heroin chic years and what on earth were they booking models that looked like they were about to die of a heroin overdose? I mean, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. What I did by opening Bella and doing the exact opposite to everybody else was seen as just really stupid and I was going to lose everything. Mm. But like, you know, like we discussed earlier, I couldn't, once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it and I couldn't just sit by and do nothing about it. I just had to do something and so I did. And I didn't really have a, like an end goal in mind or anything like that. There hasn't been any one moment where I've thought, oh, well, I can just give up now because I've, I've done it mm. because I haven't because some, they keep inventing stuff that shouts mm. over the top of me and the machine is... It's a multi-billion dollar machine that's shouting out, out over the top of me. So if I withdraw, I'm worried that somebody else will get overwhelmed and won't be able to continue as long as I have. And, you know, in some ways I see the amount of change when I reflect back that I've been able to make and our business has been able to make with my whole team, I have to say. It's not just me. I've got a whole team of people who are just incredible who work with me on this. We have affected so much change, but there is so much more to go. There is never going to be an end date, I don't think, because we'd have to dismantle the whole system for that to happen. All we can do is yeah. try to be as loud as they are. And you're right, um, it's at that real systemic level I thought about the other day because it does sometimes get overwhelming in terms of what needs to change and you know yeah. that you know like you you know you've created change I know I've created change but there's still so much to go and I think well the way that I've looked mm -hmm. at it is if I when when I eventually die if I can go hand on heart I worked as hard as I could to create as That's much exactly change right. as I possibly could 
then that's that's all yeah. I want. I just want to know yeah. that I did as much as I could because I believe that yeah. you know when when you and I both leave this earth, there's still going to be there's still probably going to be more to go because it is yeah. so ingrained in our culture. But my goodness, it'll be in a better space. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I always, you know, my friend Pam, who got me into yeah. all sorts of things, <laughs> but she said something to me years ago when I was in my early 20s that has always stuck with me. If you can change one mind, you've changed a hundred. And if you've changed a hundred minds, you've changed a thousand. So, and what she means by that is obviously that as you move around the world, the, the change you're creating creates more change, creates more change, creates more change, creates more change. So even if just within your own family or your own self, start with yourself. If you can change yourself mm. and how you feel about yourself and how you interact mm. with the world, then you'll affect at least one person in your circle of friends and family and whatever who will be encouraged and inspired to change the way they think about themselves it just spreads like a little, a little like coronavirus, but for good, for good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's, you know, but that's how we create change. So it's, it's not just people like you and me who are doing this work at, you know, this in this area of the tree. We need people who are, you know, also working on the roots and also working on the, you know, at growing more branches, right? So we need as many branches as we can possibly get. So if you can start with yourself and pass that on to just one person and it just spreads and that's how we do it. So and that's the whole point of, of me trying to get the message out as big, as loud, as much as possible is in the hope that in the, you know, millions of people that hear and read it, I might get 100 people to change their minds and they will in turn get 100 people to change theirs. You and I both know that there needs to be a massive cultural shift in, in the way that as a society we approach body image. What do mm-hmm. you think are some of the key things that need to change? Well, for me, it's, it's not just, it's not only the way that you speak to yourself, it's the way you allow other people to speak around you and to you mm. and to others. If friends say to you anything about their weight, anything, oh, you know, need to just shut it down straight away. Just be strong enough just to stand in your own person and say, I don't want to have those conversations. I don't want to talk about those things. I'm not interested. Just shut those conversations down straight away. Don't, don't participate in them. The more you do that, not only the less people will have those conversations with you or bring up, you know, say those stupid jokes or tag you in those stupid memes, they, they'll learn very quickly what your boundaries are. It will also help them reassess what their behaviours are and how they could be contributing to these problems themselves and maybe they shouldn't be so carefree with these types of comments and it may even help them, you know, speak to themselves in a nicer way. It may help them speak to their children in a nicer way. You don't know how far that can go just by showing your own, standing in your own power, showing your own boundaries and having your own integrity. That really, it does filter out. So, um, and it changes people's responses and it makes them more thoughtful of how they're responding. So that for me is a really important thing. I just won't allow it in my space. You know, weight and size and things like that aren't even discussed around me at all. So I don't have to listen to that rubbish anymore, ever, which is so awesome. So 
you know, that's that's like the first key thing. I think it always, all yeah. all change starts with yourself. You have to change yourself first. You don't have to do it in a, in a mean way or in a, in a bad way or an aggressive way. You just make it really clear that no, that's not, you know, mm. no, actually. A lot of the people who, who repeat this psychological warfare that's implanted into mm. our head, this is, you know, most people don't even realise they've been infected with it. So they're just regurgitating something that they don't even know has been programmed into them. They actually still think that this is an actual belief of theirs and that everyone believes that because that's that's what they've been hearing all their lives. So I actually don't feel anger towards people who speak like that or talk like that or anything. I, I just feel really sad and I try to point out ways where they might they themselves have been conned into believing this this lie in order for companies to sell them products. That is what it all boils down to at the end of the day. The diet and weight loss culture is all about Mm. moving product, moving weight loss tablets, diets, diet books, you know, workout videos. That's what it's about. And even even things like the superfoods and paleo, keto, all the new fads that seem to Mm -hmm. emerge, you know, every single week, it's it's all the same. And I think it's about opening people's eyes to the reality of it. You don't need to go and buy all that stuff. And I think that's the importance of us not demonizing any certain food. You know, there is no food that is good or bad. You're not inherent. Food has no no moral value. You are not inherently good or bad for consuming a particular type of food. You're allowed all foods and all foods have nutritional value. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's right. But it is about balance and that's all, that's really all you need to worry about. You know, that you're getting a balanced diet, you're getting enough roughage, that you're getting enough vitamins, you're getting enough minerals. And that's not for weight um, or shape reasons. It's for how you feel. Yeah, mentally, emotionally, all of those things and and being able to physically do, do life. It's not because you want to be a certain number on the scale or a certain, you know, shape. No, no, this is purely for health, cellular nutrition and, and thought yeah. process and that's the whole purpose of food basically. And, you know, of course Madeira cake because it's just yummy. <laughs> and this is the thing, you know, food is so much more than just fuel. Food is memories, food is social connection, mm-hmm. food is love, is, food yeah. is, you know, things you eat, it's, there's so much pleasure to be had. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you might not be hungry, but you just do want that piece of cake or you do feel like, you know, baking or making these things. And I think it's Mm -hmm. just so important for people to understand that you can have food outside of those things. You don't have to be hungry. It doesn't have to be a meal time. You know, you can be flexible and gentle with yourself and just enjoy it. I think that's one of the things that I treasure most about recovery is having mm. the ability to be able to do that. I don't think the novelty of that will ever wear off for me. <laughs> no, the novelty of cake will never wear off for me. So. <laughs> um, Chelsea, finally, are there any words of wisdom that you'd like to leave our listeners with, especially those who are struggling to accept their dead bodies? Well, I can just tell you that as we were discussing before, your body and your mind are so interlinked. And if you want to share the best of who you are 
with the world. You need a healthy body to do that. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me today because I'm having a bad pain flare today. So I'm kind of in that hate my body today stage. <laughs> but I know that, you know, I know that it'll be easier tomorrow. You just got to keep trying. You just have to keep getting up. You just have to give it all you've got. It's so, it's such a different journey for everybody. But yeah, today I've got um, the pain and the fibro fog. So um, I'm not, I'm not feeling like much of a uh, motivational person today. It will, it does get better. So, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm um, not happy with it today, but I'm still happy I've got one because, you know, there's plenty of people who don't and uh, are struggling a lot more than I am. You know, I'm really happy that I'll wake up tomorrow and could be potentially a lot better. So you just have to stick with it, eat, sleep, rest, get up and keep going. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, despite your pain really. and your brain <laughs> for joining me and sharing all your amazing stories. I really, really appreciate you. And I just want to honor you for everything that you are doing and what you have done over these years to change, change the conversation, but also change literally what we are seeing in magazines, what we are seeing in catwalks, Um, Mm -hmm. because it is so, so, so important. So thank you. It takes a team, you know, you have to have a, a whole world of people coming at this problem from so many different directions and you know we all need each other and we all bounce off each other and you know it's a real privilege to get to work with you as well and (laughs) no you're right it takes a village it does take a village and we've all just keep chipping away at it and if we all chip Mm -hmm. away at it from different angles we're going to get somewhere and we already are and I think that's the thing we are yeah yeah we've got to remind ourselves we are creating change we absolutely are thank you so Mm. much for joining me you are amazing and I can't wait to talk to you again soon (laughs) bye hun There is hope at ended.org.au. This is the End Eating Disorders Podcast, brought to you by BCU, customer-owned banking for you. This is a Casco Media production.